the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This episode is a rebroadcast of The Common Good on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Coming up this hour, what's the correct way for we as Christians to look at politics? You're listening to The Common Good. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to The Common Good here on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. My name is Brian Fromm. Glad to have you with us today on this Friday afternoon. Uh, age-old question that feels like it ramped up even more in 2020 and 2021 now is Christians and politics. How are we as Christians to think about politics? How does it intersect our faith? Where does our, how does our faith inform our political passions and our political choices? Because if the uh, 2020 election taught us anything, it is that we are a nation divided around politics, really right down the middle. If you look at the election, 50-50, but we're also a church divided around politics. And, uh, you know, that becomes uncomfortable because we want to be a church unified underneath the lordship of Jesus Christ, not a church divided around, you know, red or blue R or D, whatever it might be. Like we want to have passions about politics. We want to disagree. We want to debate. We want to hold those tightly. Christians are not called to be non-political or apolitical. That's not the call here. But the call is how do we do that while not being like the divided world around the divided country around us? What's the opportunity for the church? How can we function better? As I was thinking about that, I came across a clip this is back in uh, a little over a year ago. So this is before the election. Uh, this is Andy Stanley. It's interesting. This is actually before the pandemic, too, and all that happened during the pandemic. Uh, this is Andy Stanley and uh, from a much bigger sermon. But this is about uh, two and a half minutes on this, that nothing divides like politics. So what do we do? What do we do? I want you to hear from Andy Stanley here first. Nothing divides like politics. And the reason nothing divides like politics is because nothing divides like fear. I mean, you already know this. You've been a victim of this. You can raise a lot of money peddling fear, right? The Republicans are going to take away your vote. The Democrats are going to take away your guns, right? If the president is reelected, you know, the end is near. If a Democrat, a socialist Democrat is, is elected, you know, the end is near. But here's the question. What exactly do we fear? And here's what we fear. We actually all fear the same thing. We all fear loss. Loss of control, loss of opportunity, loss of our wealth, loss of the future for our children, loss of our culture, again, loss of our freedom. And here's the thing, just to be super uncomfortable. White people, we all fear what might happen. Our brown and black brothers and sisters, they fear what actually did happen. Because for them, it's not theory, it's history. And in terms of how old the world is and how old civilization is, it is very, very, very recent history. We have an unprecedented opportunity to model for our community and maybe model for our country what it looks like 
to disagree politically because we are going to disagree politically and at the same time love unconditionally because we are going to love unconditionally. But here's my question. Do you want to do this? More to the point, this is the tough one. Are you willing, are you willing to evaluate your politics through the filter of our faith, our historic Christian faith, if you're a Christian? Are you willing to evaluate your politics through the filter of our faith rather than create a version of faith that supports your politics? Are you willing to follow Jesus even when doing so creates space between you and your party, you and your party's platform, and you and your party's candidate? And I'll tell you something, most Christians aren't. But I'm hoping that you're not most Christians and that we're not most churches and that maybe we can get this right and we can get this right in such a way that it does something for other churches, our community, maybe our nation. All right. So Andy Stanley wants to say uh, that that the, the goal here is is not for us to be divided, but for the church to look uh, something different. And why do we fear, he says, because fear is what's dividing us. And he says that we fear loss, loss of what we want our country to be, loss of maybe what the country was, in our opinion, loss of of all sorts of things. Andy Stanley contends here that fear drives our division and that the fear driven by loss. I think that is a really interesting take on his part because we fear loss. And so therefore we fight because it's got, it's got to be the way the country used to be. It has to be that whatever else it might be. And, and then I, I want to hone in here. Stanley says we, we should, we can disagree politically. The goal here is not uniformity in the church. The goal here is not that we all agree about everything, but that when we disagree politically, we still love unconditionally. That's what we don't do very well these days. Stanley says, as we disagree politically, we must still love unconditionally. And some of you might be going, I don't love the Democrats. I don't love a Republican, even if they're in my church. Well, that's not the way of Jesus. The way of Jesus is I don't think our political opponents are our enemies, but let's pretend you do. The way of Jesus is love your enemies. It's pretty clear. And so Stanley says, what would it look like for the church within the church, but then also out in culture to love unconditionally those that we disagree with politically? And then he asks the $64,000 question, I think, in his uh, in his sermon here. He says, are you willing to evaluate your politics through the filter of our faith rather than evaluate a version rather than have a version of faith that supports your politics. Are you willing to evaluate your politics through the filter of our faith rather than create a version of faith that supports your politics? I want you to wrestle with that, friends. Will our faith be the umbrella under which our political decisions and our political discourse uh, falls? Will our faith, the things that Jesus, earlier in the show today, we talked about what's it mean that Jesus is our king? Well, the fact that Jesus is our king means the way that we talk, the way that we live our lives, the way that we treat other people falls under that lordship and that umbrella. And therefore, including our politics, will that be filtered through our gospel lenses, through our faith lenses? Will we treat even our political disagreements 
through the filter of our faith? Or are we going to create a version of faith that only supports our politics? Are you one of those people that says you cannot be a Christian and a Democrat? You cannot be a Christian and a Trump supporter. Whatever else it might be, are you one of those people? Well, if you are, then you've created a version of faith that only supports your politics. And here's the danger of that. Then it starts to create a scenario of good versus evil, of enemies. And and now we start having this fracturing in our culture and in our church around politics when there is supposed to be unity instead under the lordship of Jesus because he's our king. He's the one that we worship. He is where our hope lies. Are you willing to evaluate your politics through the filter of your faith rather than create a version of faith that supports your politics? A really difficult question there posed to us by Andy Stanley and one that I want you to wrestle with. What do you think about that? How will you form your political kind of paradigm? What does your faith speak into your politics? Does your politics, no pun intended here, trump your faith or does your faith trump your politics? The question Andy Stanley raises there that I thought would be great for us to wrestle with. Well, coming up next, Pastor Alistair Begg, the author of Brave by Faith, God-Sized Confidence in a Post-Christian World. Pastor Begg is going to join us for the next 30 minutes here on The Common Good. AM 1160, hope for your life. Hey, friends, welcome back to The Common Good here on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. My name is Brian Fromm. Really glad to have you joining us today. And uh, we are thrilled to be joined by the senior pastor of Parkside Church out near Cleveland, Ohio. Uh, his name is Alistair Begg. Uh, that name might sound familiar to those of you who listen to AM 1160 on a regular basis. Alistair uh, host Truth for Life every weekday at 7.30 a.m. and 1.30 p.m. right here on AM 1160. Uh, and he's also the author of a new book called Brave by Faith, God-Sized Confidence in a Post-Christian World. And before we welcome in Alistair, let me tell you, we're doing a special giveaway where you can receive one of his books for free. If you would like to receive Brave by Faith, go to 1160hope.com and search for the keyword brave. Again, that's 1160hope.com and search for the keyword brave. That's a lot, Alistair, but all that to say, thanks so much for joining us. It's great to have you on the show. It's a privilege to join you too. So uh, thank you very much. It's absolutely my pleasure. I'd love to talk to you about your book here, Brave by Faith. Why don't you give us an overview? Why Not only why did you write the book, but what is Brave by Faith about? Well, it's actually the story of uh, uh, Daniel and his friends who are taken away from the world that was familiar to them and taken into an alien territory where their convictions were either going to be uh, present in their lives, so they were going to be squeezed out of them. And of course, what happens is that uh, the crises that they face uh, reveal that they are men of conviction. And the the hero in the story is, of course, God himself. It's not that uh, Daniel was particularly brave, uh, but that he was brave by faith. In other words, uh, the challenge for us or the encouragement for us is not to become like Daniel, but to learn to trust in Daniel's God. And uh, so that's really the theme that runs throughout. 
Oh, absolutely. That's outstanding. Now, uh, we all know in the Daniel story, we know Babylon. And, and I would ask this question, what does our, what does our modern world have in common with Babylon? Well, it's a world that is uh, uh, opposed to God uh, and is stuck on itself and is antagonistic towards uh, uh, the king. Uh, Psalm 2, why do the nations wage and the peoples imagine a vain thing? Why do they uh, respond and uh, say, let us break their bonds and uh, establish our own agenda? Uh, that's that's the thing. It's the king, two kingdoms. It's Augustine, you know, the kingdoms of our world and the kingdom of our Christ, the two cities. Uh, Babel uh, is man's endeavor to uh, uh, reach up to heaven and to do without God. And so Babylon is epitomized by that, and our world is largely epitomized by that, too. That's why Jesus said, you know, you've got to be in it, but you mustn't be of it. That's right. That's right. I, I love the title of the book, Brave by Faith, because, you know, typically we, we hear live by faith or walk by faith. Could you you already did it a little bit, but can you talk more about that title, Brave by Faith, why you called it that? And what does faith have to do with bravery? Well, uh, well, it's if, if we were to go into the New Testament and think about Paul encouraging Timothy as a younger man in pastoral ministry, he says to him, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. In other words, he's not asking him to look inside of himself and try and be a courageous person, but he's saying to him, uh, find your strength and your confidence in God and then work out your own salvation, as it were, from there. And so if you think about the climate in which we find ourselves today, where uh, certain fundamental uh, convictions that frame biblical Christianity are under radical attack uh, in, in multiple spheres of life, then uh, it's going to take a measure of bravery for people to actually be prepared to stand against the tide. And for, for many of us, it's much easier just to go with the flow, but any dead fish can flow downstream. You know, it only takes a, it takes a live stream <laughs> uh, fish to be able to fl- uh, uh, swim against the current. Mm. Uh, you say this in the book. I just love this phrase. You say, what the world most needs from the church is our gospel, not our approval. And, and so I guess I would ask it this way. Uh, what makes approval different from the elements of the gospel, like being loving? A lot of times people are like, well, we're just supposed to be loving and non-judgmental or whatever. Help us understand again when you say the world needs the church's gospel, not our approval. Yeah. Well, I mean, basically, uh it's a, it's a real challenge, isn't it? Because um, we all like to be um, included in the group. We don't want to be the standout. It's always difficult when you're at school and you experience that or uh, in, in a lab setting as a, as a Christian. And, uh, and you realize it's much easier just to go along with the group and uh, to uh, acknowledge their jokes or to uh, be prepared to adapt to uh, their convictions, uh, but that is no help to them because what they need is the gospel. And the gospel is the story of what God has done for us in Jesus to save us from ourselves, to save us from our sin, from death, and from hell. And so uh, the, the, the gospel is not about what we can do in order to uh, uh, make ourselves acceptable to God, but it is the good news of what God has done in Jesus. Now, that, of course, is uh, immediately anathema to people who have been brought up believing that uh, 
uh, they can find in themselves the answer to all of their questions and uh, they can uh, improve themselves and uh, uh, be better uh, so, so as citizens and uh, members of, uh, of the group. Uh, but it fails to acknowledge the fact that we're desperately flawed. And the Bible inevitably confronts us with that, and people don't like to hear that. They don't like to hear it uh, any more today than they did uh, in Daniel's day. Absolutely. You know, something that always sticks out when I read Daniel or read that story is just how much the other leaders were against him, like they to the point that they wanted to have him killed. Why do you think... In the book of Daniel, so many of the other leaders, you know, they didn't just disregard him. They hated him to such a level that they wanted to have him killed. Why do you think that was the case? Well, it wasn't because he was doing bad things. It was because he was doing good things. It wasn't because his character was malignant. It was because his character was crystal clear. In other words, they were jealous of him. They despised the very goodness that they found in him because the quality of his life it, it, it just just revealed. Uh, the emptiness of their own. Uh, for example, when they are completely unable to employ their spells and their stratagems to interpret the, the dreams of the king, uh, this fellow uh, from who knows where steps forward and instead of saying, don't worry, I've got it covered, he says, uh, well, I, I, I'm not sure that I can do this, but I do know that God can do this. And so he introduces God into the equation and of course, that's exactly what follows. And again, you see, we have to understand the nature of the world in which we live in. That people don't live in a in a neutral zone, trying to decide whether they want to be uh, in the kingdom of God or not in the kingdom of God. We are by nature members of the kingdom that is opposed to God. And that's why the story of the gospel is that he comes uh, to bring us out of the kingdom of darkness into this kingdom of light. And so when, when the light shines, you know, if you're with somebody who doesn't cuss all the time, then it's amazing how it really annoys people who cuss all the time. Or if you're with somebody who doesn't tell dirty jokes all the time, they're like, man, I hate you. Well, why? Why do you hate me? Well, because our, our lives in some measure expose uh, the nature of uh, uh, the, the circumstances that are there to be, to be seen. And so it's no surprise that they, that they despise him for that. Yeah, again, we're being joined by Alistair Begg. He is senior pastor of Parkside Church near Cleveland, Ohio. He's also the author of a new book called Brave by Faith, God-Sized Confidence in a Post-Christian World. We're doing a special giveaway here. You can receive Alistair Begg's new book and a chance to win a copy of it for free. Here's how you do it. Visit 1160hope.com and search for the keyword brave. Again, that's 1160hope.com. Search for the keyword brave. Also, you can hear Alistair on Truth For Life, which airs weekdays here on AM 1160 at 7.30 a.m. and 1.30 p.m. Alistair, we're thrilled that you've stayed with us. Uh, before we jump it back into your book, Brave by Faith, I did want to just ask you, kind of pastor to pastor, uh, What's the pandemic year been like for you, and how have you been encouraging your congregation during this crazy pandemic time? Uh, well, I think it's been um, a whole host of things. It's shown uh, all kinds of uh, elements of our of our lives and of the nature of what it means to uh, live together as uh, 
as a, a family of faith, especially when, for example, in the early months, uh, I just uh, stood and spoke to an empty auditorium and our material um, went out online. And then as we began to reemerge and come together, uh, the sense that some people had that uh, viewing things uh, in one way was uh, an expression of weakness or others had different views. It's, it's been a very testing time. And where I've tried to handle it is by just remaining consistent, consistent in doing what I do. It's a bit like, uh, you know, uh, mom goes in the kitchen and she makes, she makes the family meals and, uh, sometimes they're good. Sometimes they're not so good. There's all kinds of things going on in people's lives, but you can pretty well guarantee that she'll be there and the meal will be on the table. I kind of look at it in that way. You know, I go in the kitchen during the week. I get the material together. It's not my material. I'm just a servant of it. And I've been both amazed and encouraged at the way in which the timeliness of the Word of God has helped to stabilize uh, our church family and uh, mm. remind us of what a wonder it is that even though our circumstances may be daunting and unusual, that we're discovering again that the promises of God may be trusted and that his word is exactly what it says, a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. Yeah, yeah, I appreciate you sharing that. Uh, so again, we're talking to Alistair about his new book called Brave by Faith. And this book is uh, is the story of Daniel, uh, which is just an amazing Old Testament story. And Alistair, at the, at the heart or part of the story of Daniel has a lot to do with idols and idol worship. And I wonder... Uh, what are the idols that you think we're being asked to worship today? And what are the consequences in our lives when we when we do worship those idols? And also, what are the consequences when we don't worship the idols of our culture? Well, you know, the fundamental problem for us uh, as human beings is idolatry. I mean, if you think about it, the, 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 the beginning of the Ten Commandments addresses this. You shall have no other gods before me. That the propensity of our hearts is to... Uh, choose substitute gods, uh, especially if we can have gods that will do our bidding uh, rather than our uh, bowing down before the true and living God. And so uh, from the very uh, beginning of time and from the fall of man, uh, we find that uh, uh, the people uh, who are uh, trying to make their way in the journey of life are tempted to substitute all that is true of God for things that are uh, lesser gods. Now, what are they today? Well, there's there's so many of them, but one of them is just the worship of ourselves. I mean, one of the one of the uh, clearest expressions of idolatry is just the fact that uh, we're stuck on ourselves. We place ourselves where God deserves to be uh, on a throne. Uh, this is my life. This is my agenda. No one shall tell me what to do. And uh, that, that now runs to the very essence of uh, our sexuality, uh, the fact that I am uh, physically uh, put together by the plan and purpose of God in such a way doesn't uh, call in question my ability to change that dramatically, which is an expression of the, the idolatry of self. Uh, we can add to that uh, money, we can add to it sex, we can add to it all kinds of things. But... Uh, the idea that somehow or another idolatry has to do with uh, shrines and idols um, fails to acknowledge that the real idolatry is the idolatry of the human heart. Yeah, yeah. 
one of the things I appreciate about your book, again, we're talking about the new book, Brave by Faith, is your encouragement to Christ followers to kind of draw lines that they won't cross, right? Like Daniel did in refusing to violate God's law around the food. Uh, how do we know which lines to draw? And maybe how do we discern that uh, where where we are to like hold fast and where maybe we can fudge things a little bit? How do you help people understand about where to draw those lines? Well, you know, the, the, the Bible helps us with that. You know, for example, again, we we're talking about Titus there. You know, that the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men, teaching us to say no to ungodliness and to all kinds of passions. Um, so the, the, the Bible is, is, is principally very, very clear uh, that we are to draw lines in the matter of, let's take uh, uh, the question of human sexuality. The lines uh, are, are not uh, uh, somehow or another uh, to be self-determined, uh, that uh, God has established man and woman has created family life, has determined what marriage is, and therefore what marriage is not. And so uh, there are there are clearly uh, delineated lines. Now, even within that framework, though, each of us has to determine, you know, what that actually means in our everyday existence. And so, for example, in the great pressure at the moment in the world of education, which has uh, basically... Um, capitulated on the idea of any kind of objective truth, which has uh, become invaded by a sort of relativism that extends even to the question of who and what we are. Uh, school teachers who work in that system or university professors are going to have to decide uh, whether they're prepared to take a stand. Now, uh, so uh, you're a Christian and you are teaching in a Christian school and you're a chaplain and the LGBTQT people come in and say, we're going to have to help you people understand what it means to be, uh, you know, kind, what it means to be fair. And when you hear what that actually means, it, it means something very, very different from that. Now, what are you going to do? You can either roll over or you can take a stand. And if you take a stand, you may lose your job. And part of the challenge is uh, some of us are going to have to be prepared to lose our jobs. And there might be pastors who are going to lose their jobs uh, because of our preparedness to say what the Bible says. If hate speech were to include the straightforward teaching of the Bible, then uh, each one of us would pretty quickly find ourselves either having to change our sermon material or being prepared to face the impact of the, the state and the law coming coming against us. Uh, we don't look to that. We hope that that will not be the case. But it would be naive to think that if things continue on the trajectory in which they're on now, that some of us will not actually have to face that eventuality. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Hey, Alistair, before we let you go, uh, we I love to ask pastors this question. Uh, we're pandemic we live in a in a in a politically divided time uh it's a difficult time and there's a lot of people out there who just don't have hope right now they're struggling to have any hope in their lives because of what's happened personally or what they see going around them could you take a minute or two and just kind of speak a word of hope to people out there who may be struggling right now well sure i mean part of the challenge is distinguishing between hope and the idea of well i hope it doesn't rain 
or I hope the stock market doesn't go down. And what the Bible talks about in relationship to hope, which is uh, the certainty of that which has not yet been experienced. So that it's not, it's not in question that when Peter says we have been born again to a living hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. It's not, it's not as if we don't have hope. It's about living in the assurance of that hope. It's actually, I mean, in many ways, the story of Daniel is uh, uh, God is good and he can be trusted. And the part, of the part of the challenge for us is facing the question, do I really believe that God is good? And if he is good, and he will give me that which is good, and he'll decide what is good, then maybe I can take my hands off the steering wheel for a little while and trust him to get me safely to my destination. Now, that's where the community of faith comes in, the encouragement of friends, the reading of the Bible, the trusting the promises of God. And so what is so easily um, uh, before us is the temptation to quit praying until we feel like praying or quit reading our Bibles until we feel like we should or quit telling others about Jesus until, you know, things come around, uh, which, of course, is the very reverse of what we need to be doing. And we don't do it because we're so supremely confident. We're actually quite timid. But God helping us, we can be brave by faith. And that bravery can extend, continuing to convince ourselves of what is true concerning God. If he gave up his own son, how will he not, with him, freely give us all things? That there is nothing that can separate us from the love of Christ, neither nakedness or peril or peril or sword, whatever it might be. No, because in all these things, we are more than conquerors. Not we may be more than conquerors, but we are more than conquerors. And so sometimes what we have to do is quit taking our own spiritual pulse to see if we're still alive and get our shoes on and get out and uh, get into the get into the world and say, God, I'm a timid person, but you can help me to be brave by faith. Oh, such a good word. Thank you so much for that. Again, that's Alistair Begg, senior pastor of Parkside Church near Cleveland, Ohio, author of multiple books. Uh, you can hear Alistair every weekday, 7.30 a.m. and 1.30 p.m., on Truth For Life, right here on AM 1160. Again, that's Truth For Life, 7.30 a.m. and 1.30 p.m. every weekday here on AM 1160. And we've been talking about his new book, Brave by Faith. You can order your copy of Brave by Faith at thegoodbook.com. Again, that's thegoodbook.com. And enter to win a copy of Brave by Faith at 1160hope.com keyword brave and one more website for you You can learn more about truth for life at truthforlife.org that's truthforlife.org alistair this has been a great pleasure thanks so much for taking the time to join us today thank you very much it's my privilege absolutely our pleasure and you're listening to the common good on am 1160 hope for your life Hey, friends, welcome back to The Common Good here on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. My name is Brian Fromm, flying solo today as my co-host, Aubrey Sampson, is out on vacation, enjoying some rest, some relaxation, some fun. We look forward to having Aubrey back here on Monday afternoon. 
one of my favorite pastors to listen to. What's one of the things that we enjoy doing on the show is to introduce you to speakers and pastors and authors and leaders who we enjoy, who we resonate with, who we are encouraged, inspired and challenged by. And one of those pastors is a, a guy by the name of Tim Keller. Tim Keller he, for years, was the pastor of Redeemer Presbyterian Church in New York City uh, and, and was just a hugely influential church, is a hugely influential church in New York City. Uh, Keller stepped down from kind of the day-to-day pastoring there and now focuses much more on his prolific writing and speaking. He is a real uh, force when it comes to uh, the content he provides. And I've told this story often that uh, I went to a church planting conference when we were going to be starting our church, and Tim Keller was the main speaker down at Exponential. And uh, when he came up, they literally called him Yoda, the reverence that he was shown, and he just sat on a stool and just talked. Uh, and it was awe-inspiring. It was unbelievable. One of the many things that Keller regularly speaks on is idol worship. He wrote a book called Counterfeit Gods. And the purpose of that book is to say that idol worship was not just an Old Testament thing in which uh, we have, you know, golden calves and, and gold statues that we worship to. Because a lot of times when we just read idols that way, we think, well, I don't struggle with that. But Keller's point, and it's accurate, is that actually we uh, we are idol making factories, as the quote goes, that we have all sorts of idols and, and that all of us are going to worship something. So it's not a gold statue, but it might be a green dollar bill. It might be a position of power. It might be our own pleasure. It could be all sorts of things. And that functionally, we even if we declare God as our God, even if we declare that with our mouth, that oftentimes functionally we have other gods. And Keller wants us to look inward and go, well, who are those guys? What are those idols in our lives? Repent of them and then put Jesus back on his rightful throne. And so uh, with that as backdrop, I want you to listen to this uh, just about two minutes of a, of a sermon, of a talk that Tim Keller gave on this. C.S. Lewis wrote a little article some years ago called Equality, and he says, I am absolutely in in favor of democracy, absolutely, because we're all sinners. He says, because we're all sinners, we need checks and balances. But he says, democracy is medicine, it's not food. It's medicine for what ails us, but it's not food. He says, ultimate reality is not democracy, because you were made to be ruled And if you don't acknowledge Jesus as king, you will serve somebody. You will will bow the knee to somebody. You won't admit that's what you're doing. But I think it's there where Lewis says, human nature will be served. If it doesn't get food, it'll gobble poison. You need a king. You will serve somebody. This is your king. Obey him. That is to say, treat him as a king. Do whatever he says, whether you like it or not. Trust him. Treat him as a king. Accept what he sends into your life, whether you understand it or not. Rely on him. Don't say, well, I believe in Jesus, but you really are getting all of your self-worth out of your career. Then your career is king. Make, Make Jesus your king and expect great things from him. Thou art coming in prayer. In prayer. Expect. Treat him like a king in prayer. You know how to do that? John Newton says, thou art coming to a king. Large petitions with thee bring, for his grace and power are such 
None can ever ask too much. He's the king. I just love that line that if you don't acknowledge Jesus as king, you will serve somebody. That goes back to what we said before the clip. You're going to worship. We are made to worship. None of us ever go through life not worshiping. We can worship ourselves. We can worship our our family. We can worship money. We can worship uh, notoriety and whatever else, a claim. We can worship God. We can, we're going to worship. And so the question is, who or what are we going to serve? Are we going to bow down before? Are we going to worship? And he says, if you don't acknowledge Jesus as king, you're going to have another king. So I wonder if you agree with that. That's the first point here. You're going to serve somebody. And he goes to say that actually that's the way we are wired as people, that we need a king. Yes, democracy is great, he said, as a medicine to fall in humanity, but it's not food. It's not necessarily how we're wired. I, I That can make some of you uncomfortable. But he says we are wired to need a king, to worship somebody, to worship something that we are, uh, we need a king. And he says the point of scripture is that Jesus is Lord. Jesus is king. That That's what he is. And so Keller says, treat him that way. Don't treat him like Santa Claus off there to do what we want him to do, to help us with what we need. He's just there to serve us. The old saying goes, it's us and buddy Jesus, right? Or Santa Claus. No, he's our king. And so Tim Keller's point is treat him as king. What does that mean to treat him as king? Ultimately, it means that our life falls underneath his lordship, that we obey who he has called us to be and what he has called us to do, that that his ways become our ways, his concerns become our concerns, that just like yeah, that, that to be our king means that he sets the direction of our lives. He says, treat him as our king. Pray to him. I love that Keller said this. Pray to him. Pray to Jesus as if he is your king. Orient your life as if he is your king. See, a lot of us functionally treat ourselves as our king. That my whole life is about me. It's about uh, my advancement, my prosperity, my enjoyment. And actually, functionally, we treat ourselves as our king and Jesus is there to help move that ball along. That's idol worship. Jesus was never meant to be uh, to serve us. We were meant to serve him. He is our king. And so the first point here, and I love these words from Tim Keller. The first point here is you're going to serve somebody who is going to be your king? And I don't mean who do you sing about on Sunday morning. I don't mean uh, what do you even say with your mouth. I mean, functionally, look in the mirror and ask yourself, who is my king? Who am I serving? And then if you proclaim Jesus as Lord, if you proclaim Jesus is my king, then treat him that way. His ways become your ways, even the even the things you don't really like that he said. Jesus had a completely backwards way of living and treating this world. And he calls his followers, he calls those uh, who claim his kingship and his kingdom. He says, this is the way you live your life. Put others before yourself. The last shall be first. Uh, watch out for the least of these and, and those types of things. Treat him as king. Take upon his concerns as your concerns. Who is your king? That's what I want you to wrestle with today. Who is your king? 
You're going to serve somebody. Who are you serving with your life? You're listening to The Common Good on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. This episode is a rebroadcast of The Common Good on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Hey friends, welcome back to The Common Good here on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. My name is Brian Fromm, flying solo today as my co-host Aubrey Sampson uh, is off enjoying a vacation this week. Aubrey will be back with us on Monday, which we are looking forward to. One of my favorite pastors to listen to, and a well-known pastor, is a pastor out of Texas by the name of Tony Evans. And Tony Evans uh, is a phenomenal speaker, okay? Let's just get that out there. He is, if you've ever sat and listened to Tony Evans speak, it's mesmerizing. It's one of those we've joked before on this show that there are certain pastors that when you hear them as a pastor, you go, wow, I should never speak again. Like, I can't do that uh, and so Tony Evans is a master communicator, a wonderful pastor. Uh, his family has has gone through some tragedy this year and the loss of Tony Evans' wife. Uh, but but I found a clip that I it just got me thinking. I, I wanted to look it up because I'd heard it before. Uh, and it just got me thinking about so many things, about the, uh, about the pur- purpose of parenthood. Like, what are we as parents? Like, what is our God-given role? One of our God-given roles with our parents. And what effect do we have on our children? You're going to hear that here in a second. And then what do we do as parents when we've wronged our kids? Uh, What do we do when we've uh, not done the right thing? And also, as a child or somebody uh, growing up, what do we do with the hurts that maybe our parents have inflicted upon us intentionally? or unintentionally. I think this is so important. So what you're going to re, uh, hear here is Tony Evans talking about an interaction that he had with his son, Anthony. His son, Anthony Evans, who is a worship leader and an artist and a, uh, and a singer, uh, he's now grown. Um, but this was when Anthony Evans was younger, and Tony Evans says he came upon his son playing the piano and he said, hey, stop playing the piano. Let's play football. That Tony Evans kind of had this this vision of a man that said, no, no, men play football. We don't play the piano. And it had a hugely detrimental effect on his son. I want you to hear this interview, this kind of back and forth with Tony Evans and his son, Anthony, and then we'll reflect upon it. One of the principles in scripture is when it says train up a child in the way it should go, you know, the Hebrew word there is train up a child according to their bent. And what I was doing is I was taking my bent and I was imposing it on Anthony. There, there were years where I felt disconnected because I wasn't the football player's son. And it actually messed with my mind because of the way that between my dad being that football dad and culture in general, and then being an African-American male on top of that, where emotions aren't necessarily a thing we talk about or discuss, or you're weak if you let them come up. So I had this dichotomy between what culture says masculinity is, and then David, who's a guy who's a guy after God's own heart, who was always on on being led by his emotions and having try having to try to rein that in. But he was a man after God's own heart. Um, so I'm working with that in, internally. But then also I have a dad who, when things are brought to his attention, I'll never forget being 27 and staying at their house when I, one of these times I'm in Dallas, and I tell him how things affected me growing up. I'm having this conversation with him and my mom telling them how I felt growing up, 
as I tried to be the third child peacekeeper and keep everything on the inside and bottled up. And my dad, at the, I'm 27 years old, he opens the door and proceeds to apologize about how I felt, how he, he didn't know. He didn't make excuses. It wasn't like, I'm sorry, but I, it was just, I'm sorry about the way that you felt. I did not know that. And if I would have known that, I would have done things different. I thought that I was helping and I didn't, wasn't help. I mean, he went, that was at 27. So to have that kind of moment, it's the same thing that happened with you and your dad in a different way. It's that moment changed a heart that was actually getting hard and callous toward faith in general. And he, he actually didn't know that. Like I was singing and running around, but I was doing it to get the acceptance for the performance and all that stuff. And I was about to be done with it all until that apology happened. I mean, there's so much good stuff there. Tony Evans owns the fact that he said, uh, I told my son, let you should be playing football. And Anthony basically says like that rocked his world. Because I love this idea of the Hebrew word that he says means like bent. Like, what are you bent towards? What has God put in your heart? What are your passions and what you want to be? Tony Evans says, I wanted my son's bent to be towards football, to be towards quote unquote manly things that I wanted to train him up in the way that the world says a man plays football, a man does this. And, and Anthony's going, I, I, I want to play the piano. Like, I want to sing. I want to be an artist. And they have they had a bit of an impasse that said, okay, their ideas of what a son and what a man should be kind of missed each other. And then Tony Evans talks about there that that he was convicted of, no, 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 I'm imposing what I want for my son upon my son. And Anthony Evans basically says, until my dad apologized to me, which is a whole other thing we're going to talk about here in a second, but until my dad recognized it and apologized, it not only had a detrimental effect on, on say, their relationship or how Anthony Evans viewed himself, but Anthony Evans was ready to give up his faith. He was like, well, I don't even want to, to, to be a part of this Christian faith. That should be a sobering thought for us as parents. That we're not in charge of our kids following or not following Jesus, but how we interact, what they see in our lives, what they what they see from us when we speak to them in many ways, in many times will often be the picture they get of their heavenly father. And Anthony Evans is like, I didn't want, I was ready to give it all up. But then the turning point in their relationship was when Tony Evans looked at his son, who was grown at this point. This didn't happen right after the interaction, was when Tony Evans looked at his son and he apologized and he said, Hey, I I was trying to impose upon you what I wanted for you, what I thought you should be, but this is who God made you. And this freedom was unlocked in his son to go, okay, I thought this is who God made me be. Now my dad's affirming and I have my father's approval. uh, and, And now I can run after this. And it changed the trajectory of his life. Let me point out parents, One of the most important things we can do for our children when they're younger, when they're in their teen years, when they are older and even out of the house, I believe one of the most powerful things we can do for our children is to apologize and ask their forgiveness when we've done wrong things, when we have wronged them. A lot of times as parents, we kind of feel like I'm the authority. I should never apologize or I will look weak. But in fact, where will our kids learn Uh, what it looks like to apologize, what it looks like to say I was wrong, what it looks like to ask for forgiveness, what it looks like to show contrition. Where will our kids learn that if not from their parents? And here Tony Evans says, 
I made the point to look at my son and apologize for something that happened years ago. And look at what happened. It transformed his son's life. His adult son at that point, it transformed his life. I just love this reminder that our God-given role as parents is to uh, shepherd, is to point our children to Jesus and to help unlock for them uh, the bent that God has given to them, the passions and the talents God has put in their lives. And then when we mess up, we tell our kids, I'm sorry, forgive me. I didn't mean a dad was wrong there. Mom was wrong there. Kent, will you forgive me? Now our kids understand the power of forgiveness. So grateful for the words of Tony Evans, the openness here of Tony and his son, Anthony, uh, just a, a great picture of our role as parents. Well, coming up next, we're talking about how you can be the hands and feet of Jesus and provide life-saving food for children in Central America and in the Caribbean. We're going to have that conversation next here on The Common Good, AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Everybody, welcome back to The Common Good here on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Alongside Aubrey Sampson, my name is Brian Fromm, and we are excited uh, mm-hmm. to be joined by Todd Chapman, an old friend of ours from Food for the Poor. Hey, who are you calling old? Exactly. <laughs> yeah. exactly. We're calling here, we? you old, Todd. There you go. There I, you go. I received that. Todd is a is a friend of years. How about we put it that way? And uh, here at friend of years, there you I like go. that. There you go. Here at AM 1160, we partner with Food for the Poor to give food, give hope, give life. That is what we're trying to do. Uh, And before we hear from Todd, let me give you some of the specifics, because our goal uh, is to provide 312 children with six months of life-saving food. And here's all it takes. Your gift of $37 will feed a child for six months. That's not $37 a month. That's your gift of $37. So do the math. $74 will feed two children for six months. $185 will feed five children for six months. And so here's what you do. If you want to be part of this, of helping feed children in Central America and the Caribbean, you can call 855-901-4673. That's 855-901-HOPE. Or go to 1160hope.com and click on the food for the poor banner. Todd, it's so good to catch up with you. Uh, can you give us just a, a overall picture of the landscape? We've had hurricanes. We've had a pandemic. Paint a picture of what is uh, really going on in Central America and in the Caribbean. Yeah, so it's, you know, this is the side of the COVID-19 story that we uh, haven't heard a lot about in the U.S. because, frankly, we've just kind of been uh, understandably, I think, you know, focused on how it's impacted us here in the U.S. Uh, but there's a whole Another side of the COVID-19 story, and that is how it's impacting people in the poorest countries around the world. Mm -hmm. And I remember being on a conference call last spring, last uh, April, when COVID was just beginning to uh, take, uh, you know, take the world by storm. And uh, it was a conference call with leaders in the nonprofit space from charities all around the world. And they said, look, the biggest impact of COVID-19 is it's going to create a food shortage, a food Mm -hmm. crisis. Wow. And they were predicting that hundreds of millions of more people than were already hungry before COVID would slip into hunger and starvation. Mm. And uh, sadly, that has really 
you know, come true. And the 17 countries where food for the poor works throughout Central America and, uh, and the Caribbean. I mean, we're talking about Haiti, which is the poorest country in this side of the world, Guatemala, Honduras, El Salvador, again, some of the poorest countries in the world right here in our backyard. We've seen that happen. Uh, these families that already were struggling just to keep their kids fed during normal times during COVID-19 because of having to quarantine and because of not being able to go to work and not being able to go to the market, work in the fields, all the things they did to keep their families fed, all that went away. Mm. All of that went away during COVID-19. And so mm. hunger has truly turned into, into starvation. And in some areas, it's famine. And so that's why we're so excited. I'm grateful for the opportunity to come here uh, before the 1160 Hope for Your Life family and just invite you to to make a difference, to be the the miracle of food in these families' lives. And uh, Brian, you nailed it. $37, six months of life-saving food for one child, two meals a day, delivered by a pastor, by a local church. So it's wrapped in the gospel. It's wrapped mm-hmm. in the loving arms of a pastor, which opens mm-hmm. all sorts of really cool doors for them to minister to these families during this difficult time. And uh, so you can make all that happen. Phone number is 855 855- Nine zero one forty six seventy three eight five five nine zero one forty six seventy three online at eleven sixty hope dot com. Click on the food for the poor banner. But one more important thing here. Uh, we got a very generous friend coming alongside and they're going to double whatever the eleven sixty hope audience does. That is awesome. That's so cool. So $37 actually is going to rescue two kids. And, Mm. you know, look, you can do math. I'm not going to do the math for you. (laughs) (laughs) That is so that is so powerful. Todd, I'm a mom of three. Right. And I I have my heart just breaks hearing these stories and thinking about what it must be like to be a mom Mm. praying to God that someone will provide food. Tell us some stories about how food for the poor has met those needs. Yeah, absolutely. Well, you know, we've been working in these countries for nearly 40 years. Food for the Poor is going to be 40 years old next year. And so we've got a lot of experience ministering to these poor families. And as I said earlier, you know, on a normal time, these families struggle to to feed their kids. I mean, you know, in Haiti, you're lucky if you can make a couple dollars a day. Mm. Uh, In Guatemala, it's not much better. And so it's always a struggle for these families. But now because of COVID, it's so much worse. So imagine a mom who, and I've, I've talked to moms who they tell me, you know, they say at night, I can't sleep because I'm so worried about my babies. And I walk around my hut in the middle of the night, in the dark hours when fear is so prevalent. And, uh, you know, I've had mom say, I lay my hand on the, on the chest and backs of my kids to make sure they're still breathing. Mm. And, you know, that fear has gotten so much worse. And imagine the helplessness. That's the thing I think about a lot too. You know, in America, we're so self-sufficient, right? It's like, and we've got safety nets. We've got the government, we've got the church, we've got all of these people that can come to our aid if things go really bad. They don't have any of that. Yeah. You know, in the developing world, you are the safety net. You really are. I believe this with all my heart. The church in America is the safety net for so many of our brothers and sisters uh, in these poor countries. And so really hoping and praying that you'll respond. But, you know, guys, there's one more, as if the, all of this is not kind of bleak enough, I got to share one more aspect of this that's making their life terrible, especially in Central America. On the heels last year of COVID, you might recall two massive hurricanes Mm -hmm. hit back to back right there on the coast of Honduras. And uh, so, you know, they're just maybe beginning to get back on their feet. And now suddenly two hurricanes that come along and destroyed homes and croplands. As a matter of fact, I got a piece of audio here that I want to share. This is uh, from uh, a woman named Linda. She's with Saputo, which is our ministry partner in Honduras. Listen to this. 75% or more of the crops in Honduras are gone. Big ones, 
Small ones are gone. So these people that used to help the neighbors cannot help them because now they are as poor as the one next door. So we have to depend on the aid that comes from outside, international aid, like the one that comes from USA, like the one that comes from Food for the Poor and the donors. Because here there's no way. We got to a point that we dropped so low in our incomes, in the crops, in in the housing, in everything. We lost everything. Mm. Yeah. So you you can just imagine, you know, Aubrey, to your point, uh, yeah. man, how much how much how must these parents and kids uh, be feeling right now? But hey, we have this amazing opportunity to make yes. a difference that's today, right. and that's, that's what we right. hope you'll do. That's right. So again, your gift of $37 will feed a child for six months. But oh, Todd told us a generous benefactor is going to double that. So now it's going to feed two children. It's amazing. And again, you do the math, $74, a hundred. You could give whatever it is you could give. Just know that money is going to literally change lives. It's going to feed children. It feed children. It's going to transform families. And that's why uh, here at AM 1160, we feel so passionate about partnering with Food for the Poor to give food, give hope, and give life. So let me give you that number again. It's 855-901-4673. That's 855-901-HOPE, 855-901-4673. Or you could go to 1160hope.com, click on the Food for the Poor banner. Again, that's 1160hope.com and click on the Food for the Poor banner. As we've often talked about on the show, whether with Food for the Poor or with others, our, many of us here in the West, our goal is, our, our hope is like, how can I make a difference in the world? How can mm-hmm. my money make a difference in the world? How can I do anything that has a lasting impact rather than just spending my money on myself or whatever else it might be? I can promise you this is a great opportunity for you to help feed children who will starve without this food. So one more time, the number is 855-901-4673, 855-901-HOPE, or go to 1160hope.com and click on the Food for the Poor banner. And Todd, uh, we're glad to still have you with us. Uh, I'm always fascinated when we talk to you guys about how the food gets into the hands of families and and of kids. Help people understand, okay, I make this gift over here, mm-hmm. and somehow it turns into food over there. Help us uh, understand that process a little better. Yeah, no, absolutely. It's a great question, and I know a lot of people uh, are looking for that answer. So first of all, understand we've been doing this a long time, 40 years of uh, of working in most of the 17 countries that we're now in. Actually, God's opened the doors uh, to a couple new countries in the last five to 10 years. But oh, that's awesome. I've been doing this a long, yeah, I've been doing this a long time. And, and so in that period of time, God has blessed us with some amazing partnerships. And we've just learned a lot. You know, you, you tend to learn stuff the longer you do something. And But one of the things that we figured out early on uh, was that we wanted what Food for the Poor did to be more than just humanitarian aid. Okay. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's a lot of organizations, secular and faith-based that do that. We wanted to make sure that people understood the why, the why behind what, you know, what we were trying to do to help them. And the why for us as followers of Jesus is the Bible, right? Yeah. I mean, 300 verses in the Bible that command us to serve our poor brothers and sisters. And so mm-hmm. we knew that uh, the best way to do that, because we can't, uh, understand that Food for the Poor doesn't have employees in all 17 of these countries. We actually work with partner organizations to help distribute the food and actually do a lot of the work on the ground. 
And we just figured out early on that, you know what, the best way to do that is going to be to work with the church. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because that, that really is the calling of the church and the people in the church uh, in these countries. And so you've got all these pastors, you know, tens of thousands of pastors across all these countries, and they just have such a heart to minister to their fellow countrymen, people in their communities. But look, they're just as poor as the people they're trying to help. Mm. And so we started coming alongside those pastors. And so when you give your $37 or, Brian, I love what you said, $37 a month, because there's a lot of people that can and will That's do right. that, I know. Yeah. Um, you know, what that does is it you, you would enable us to ship food over, get it to a local pastor, and he in turn distributes it to these families in his community. And it's been kind of cool because during covid uh, you know, like so many other people, we kind of had to change the way we do things because normally we'd have people come to a feeding center to get the food. We had to start taking it out to them in their homes because they couldn't come outside. Mm. And so that's actually been kind of cool because it's opened up the doors for these pastors to go into people's homes and actually just become a little bit more, I don't know, intimate, I guess, and, and familiar with these families in their home. And so that's sure. a really cool, cool. Uh, you know, byproduct of this. So, yeah, so that's the way the the, the, the Food for the Poor does it. But, man, I got to just under underscore again, without you, without your compassion, your love, your generosity, nothing happens. Nothing that's good right. happens. Right. You are the critical part in this. So, And I want to, if I could for a second, guys, I would love for you to hear, you know, it's one thing to hear me blabber on about this, <laughs> uh, you know, as a – as an old guy here in America, but I want you to hear from uh, one of the people that you're helping. Uh, this is a mom that I met in Guatemala uh, on my last trip there, which was last January, January of 2020, right before COVID came on the scene. And uh, this is a mom ma- named Marta. Uh, you're going to hear from her, and then you're going to uh, hear from a pastor friend of mine that we took with us. Uh, and I just want you to hear about the need, but also the impact and the faith of these people. So listen to this. When it comes a time and there is no food, how does she help the children get through that when they when their stomachs are, are empty? I tell them that today we cannot eat, but uh, another day we will have food. Yeah, we need to work in order to, to have food to put in our plates. When she prays, what does she pray to God for? I ask God for help for my children and to give us bread to have uh, each day something to eat. Listening to testimony of some of the residents brings you to tears to know that people are suffering, but in the same breath, they still possess a hope and a belief that God is going to rescue them. So even though I might cry as to their plight, I'm encouraged that even in the midst of what they're going through, that they maintain a faith and a belief that God will come to see about me. And I think one of the ladies said that whatever God starts, he will finish. And God would not let us be out here and not come and get us. So that lets me know that wherever you are, God's going to come and get you. I think the powerful thing about that clip, Todd, is that we can actually be the hands and feet of Jesus right now mm-hmm. and answer that mom's prayer. I mean, I'm getting emotional mm-hmm. listening to that because I've seen families. I, My husband and I have lived overseas. We have seen food poverty at its worst. We have seen starvation. Mm-hmm. We've seen some of these situations. But now you're saying it's worse than ever before because of the impact mm-hmm. of the hurricane. And so listeners, this is a moment where you can literally answer this woman's prayer Mm -hmm. with $37 a month, $37 one time providing food for six months. I mean, Mm -hmm. that's so tangible. That's so manageable. And that makes such a profound difference. Again, you can join us and help feed children in Central America and the Caribbean by calling 855-901-4673. Again, that's 855-901-HOPE 
or you can go to 1160hope.com and click on the Food for the Poor banner. Mm-hmm. And Todd, I'm curious, uh, one of the powerful things also is like, hey, people give and help. Uh, but then uh, where this really becomes powerful, because a lot of us, you know, we think about what's in it for me. Uh, could you speak to that out there, the difference it makes in our lives when we use our money and our resources in order to help people in need? What effect do you believe that has on us back here? Well, I, I, you know, I can speak for how uh, giving has changed my life personally and my family's life. And so, I, you know, I, I think it applies to pretty much everybody because God has kind of wired us all the same, right? Uh, you know, God is the ultimate giver. And mm-hmm. so I, I just don't think we're ever more like Jesus than when we're giving, mm-hmm. uh, whether that be giving of our money or of our time uh, of, or of our talents. God created us and has blessed us so abundantly. And he loves it when we pass that along and give us away uh, gives it, and give it away. I mean, I heard a pastor say, and I think this preaches, right, said, uh, <laughs> God, you know, God didn't make us to be. Uh, he made us to be rivers, not uh, reservoirs. Mm. And uh, I love that, man. And, and, you know, in my experience, the more that my my wife and I give, whether again of our income or our time, the more God refreshes us, and He gives us the desire and the capacity to give even more. Mm. And so that's that's my heart for giving. And I would also say this, and and this might be a little bit tougher right now because of what we've just come through. But on the other hand, maybe it's not. Maybe this is the perfect time to point this out. Uh, gratitude is is an outgrowth of. I'm sorry, generosity is an outgrowth of gratitude. Mm. And so I think if we really reflect on the blessings in our life and just really, I mean, really just dwell on that for a couple minutes, just stop and think about things that we can so easily take for granted, food, shelter, safety, health, jobs, right? And just just realize that, man, God has been so good to, to us, to me. Yeah. And then you just say, God, thank you. And what would you have me do with a small part of what you've given to me? And I think when that's our posture, then it makes it really not only easy, but man, it just feels so good to give. Absolutely. So again, here's what we're asking you to do, our common good listeners, uh, is call 855-901-4673. That's 855-901-HOPE. Or you can go to 1160hope.com and click on the Food for the Poor Banner. Our goal is to provide 312 children with six months of life-saving food. And your one-time gift of $37 will feed a child for six months. But now because that gift is being matched, uh, there's an urgency there to to get your money in while it's being matched. It will feed two children for six months. Uh, and, and the gift goes on and on. But here's what we would do. We would ask you to stretch yourself. What's not what's the minimum you can do, but but what's the maximum? What's the maximum amount of children that you can help feed uh, these kids who need food in Central America and the Caribbean? So that number one more time is 855-901-4673. That's 855-901-HOPE or go to 1160hope.com and click on the Food for the Poor banner. Todd, it's great to talk to you again, man. Yeah, thanks, thanks for so coming on. Thanks so much for being here, Todd. And, and sharing this guys. opportunity. Yeah. Have a great day, Appreciate buddy. Appreciate it. All right. You too. Yep, you're listening to The Common Good on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to The Common Good, AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. My name is Brian Fromm. Excited to do the show today. I'm doing it by myself as my co-host, Aubrey Sampson, is off on vacation, hopefully having a relaxing time. She'll be back with us on Monday. Uh, but Man, I've really enjoyed today's show. 
we played a clip earlier from Tony Evans, and I kind of said, you know what, Tony Evans is one of those pastors' pastors. Uh, he's the pastor that speaker that that other pastors listen to. Uh, they listen to his sermons and they try to emulate how Tony Evans at least speaks. And uh, he's someone to look up to. And, and I want to talk about another pastor that I feel that way about. Uh, he's also out of Texas. I, I would say this pastor, uh, when I listen to podcasts and other people preach, this is probably the person I listen to the most. And a lot of pastors that I know do that. A lot of people I know feel the same way. His name is Matt Chandler. Matt Chandler at the Village Church outside of Dallas, Texas, and just a phenomenally gifted, uh, God-ordained preacher. And I think, from a distance at least, I always cross my fingers because we've seen so many of these kind of people end up falling, but he seems in his writings and his speaking and everything that kind of goes out from him to be a really godly guy, loves his family, loves his church. And in fact, his church has begun taking their campuses and spinning them off into autonomous churches going, I don't need to, they don't need us. And so I think that's always respectable to kind of give and, and, and empower other leaders. Anyway, that's kind of the background of Matt Chandler. And I want to end the show with a little bit of inspiration uh, and ask this question that he's going to ask here. What do you do when there's a gap between your head and your heart? What do you do when you know either what you should be doing or you know theological things, you know things that you've learned, but you aren't feeling them? You don't know them in your heart. They're not connecting. Uh, What does it look like uh, when you're in that sort of season? And with that in mind, I want you to hear these words from Matt Chandler. What do you do when there's a gap between your head and your heart. Throughout the scriptures, there's this phrase, wait on the Lord. Waiting on the Lord isn't pleasant at all. In fact, in one of the most gut-wrenching Psalms in the Bible, Psalm 42, David is literally in a fight with himself. He screams, Why are you so downcast, my soul? Put your hope in God. So his mind knows, don't make a God of that. Put your hope in God. Put your trust in God. Bow down before God. Serve God. Walk with God. Why are you downcast, oh my soul? Why aren't you buying into this? So how do you wait on the Lord if this is you? You position yourself under the waterfall of grace and you wait while you walk in obedience. So one step at a time, one day at a time, asking for God to break your heart, asking for God to restore the joy of your salvation to you, asking God to make him your treasure. Asking God, being honest about where you are, whether that be the desert or the low part or struggle, and you wait. Why? Because they who wait on the Lord, he will renew their strength. They will mount up with wings like eagles. They will run and no longer be weary. They will walk and not grow faint. My prayer, first of all, is that you find that to be inspirational, uh, that you find those words from Matt Chandler to be okay Yeah, maybe you're in a season right now where you feel like there's an emptiness. You feel like there's a dryness. 
you feel like there's a gap between your head and your heart. And you, you're you wondering, how do I find peace while I wait on the Lord? Matt Chandler there uh, talks about this concept of waiting on the Lord. What does it mean to wait, to wrestle, to struggle? The book of Psalms, right? Like, you, where, where are you, God? And, and, and I, I, we've all been in those spots. Some of you are in those spots right now. You're crying out to God. Where are you? I don't see you. I don't feel you. I don't know you. Are you even here or have you abandoned me, Lord? We all go through those stages, but some of us are in that stage right now. COVID's been hard or there's been a death in your family. You've lost your job or you're just relationships have broken down illness, whatever else it might be, or you're just having doubts and you're going, I know these things that I've learned. I know these things in my head, but I don't know them in my heart. And the call of scripture here that, that Chandler reminds us of is to wait upon the Lord, to sit under the waterfall, to still worship, to obey. Here is what is becomes really hard. A lot of times we go, fine, then I'm done with God. I won't obey. I won't do what he's called me to do. I will, I'm going to disengage from church. I'm going to disengage from worship. I'm going to disengage from reading scripture. I'm going to disengage from prayer. And, and that only compounds the problem. And I think what I want to leave us with today, what Matt Chandler reminds us of, no, it's in those moments that we, that we wrestle with God. We wrestle, but, but we, we, uh, we connect deeply with him. We still, we, we obey that long obedience in the same direction. We walk with him. We, uh, that imagery of sitting under the waterfall. We, we engage in the church. We engage in reading scripture. We engage in prayer. We cry out to him and go, I don't know where you are. I don't know where this is going, but, but I know that I want to know you deeply. I want there to be this connection between my head and my heart. I want to know you deeply. And I love that Matt Chandler ends there with that promise of the Old Testament, that promise of Scripture that God raises us up, right? That God meets us in this. That he raises us up to fly on the wings of eagles, right? To, to know him more deeply, to, to have that connection again between our head and our hearts. You know, the same way that I don't just give up on my marriage when there are times, there are seasons where Carrie and I, you know, it's like, oh man, are we just like roommates? Like we don't, we haven't connected in forever. What's going on? No, no, we had those moments we go, so you know what? Let's throw the towel in. No, that's when we dive in more deeply. That's when we lean into one another and go, no, no, we got to, we got to go on a date. We, we got to connect. No, no. In much the same way, in much a bigger way here, uh, it's that same concept. That when it feels like, God, where are you? I just, I am dried up. I don't want to read my Bible. I don't want to be a part of church. I want to disengage from community. It's, it's in those moments that we lean in under that waterfall, as Chandler said. And it's there that we begin to find peace while we wait for the Lord. And it is there that he meets us. And we are again renewed with the strength. That's what he talked about. This renewal, this strengthening. So if you're out there right now and you're struggling in this way, let me just encourage you, lean in. Lean in. Don't give up. Don't run away. Continue to obey. Continue to walk in the ways of the Lord. Continue to be in your word and prayer. Continue to engage in church community and Christian community. Continue to cry out to him. Continue to wrestle. And the promise is that 
he will renew your strength, that you will find him there, that he is near to the brokenhearted. I want to end that way with some encouragement because I know there's probably some of you out there who are struggling. My prayer for you is that you would come to know the Lord deeply, that he would meet you in a deep and new way, that he would renew your strength as you wrestle and as you cry out and as you lean in to him. We're glad that you joined us today on The Common Good. We hope that you have a great weekend. Join us again on Monday from 4 until 6. Until then, again, have a great weekend. My name is Brian Fromm, and you've been listening to The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life.